You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, I want to begin this morning with a quick scriptural journey to Malachi chapter 3, if you'd like to go there with me. You'll be glad to know, and I say this for your encouragement, that my sermon this morning only has one point. If you walk out of here and you've only got one thing, you did it. You got it. There's not three points. You're not going to have to take a lot of notes. Just try to grab this one thing, and uh, it will change your life. I promise God never says anything that he didn't intend to be life-changing. And uh, he's going to say it again this morning. Malachi chapter 3 We're going to read one verse, and that's verse 6 of this chapter. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, because I change not, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. This is a glorious, absolutely glorious beginning. He is promising the sons of Jacob that their security is not built around their goodness. Their security is not built around their ability. Their security is not built around their talent. The scripture proves quite to the contrary. What it does say loudly is that your security, my security, is found in the fact that God absolutely does not and will not change. Now, I want us to get that. So there's the point. There's what I want us to get this morning. That you and I, our security in all things, that which drives out fear, that which drives out doubt, that which drives out division, is not how well you and I perform, which is what religion tells us, What provides our security is that God does not and will not change. For I am the Lord, I change not. It grows amazingly more obvious to me over this past 12 years that you and I change the most. We make the biggest steps from one place to another in our growth and in our maturity we make the biggest steps when we realize that God does not change. Now, that shouldn't seem that way. But I will tell you today, the biggest steps that we make in our growth, in our understanding is when we know that God doesn't change. You want one of those moments in my life is when I realized that God's love for me would absolutely never, ever change. I made the biggest step, and one of the bigger steps in my life, in my relationship with God, when I realized that His love for me would never change. Because it secured me in that truth. There was a realization that there would never be anything that I could do as a child of God, as a believer, that would change his love for me. 
that his love for me was not based on me. His love for me was 100% built in an unchanging, unfailing, unfaltering heart of God that says, I love you, and there's nothing behind it. There's no but, there's no if, there's no condition. God says, I love you. So when I realize he's permanent, I change the most. And that shouldn't surprise us. If you've been walking with God very long at all, you would realize that his steadiness, his consistency brings my change. I work diligently under God's instruction and direction not to speak against anything unless God has spoken against it first. This pulpit should never be a pulpit that where I stand up here and announce to you those things that I am against. The things I'm against will be very well taken care of if I live those things that I am for. And that will, it, the rest of it will take care of. So what I find in the scripture is that I can see and I can hear Jesus speaking often against religion, against the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is, you, you don't have to debate this, it's rampant in our world. And the reactions to that religion uh, range from general acceptance in the church to complete disdain from the lost and seeking world. They look at what church, the spirit of religion, perpetuates, and they don't want any part of it. But on the part of the church, there's generally just acceptance. Religion perpetuates the idea that God is inconsistent and generally unreliable. I told them this morning in, in Bible study back here that we somehow seem to teach that God is bipolar. We don't say it in those words. We just act it out in our lives because this is the kind of stuff that we, we, we teach. He loves us, but he's angry at us. See, that's not even a, that's not even a strange teaching in, in the church. Does he love us? Yes. But is he sometimes kind of marginally angry at us? Sure. We teach that he sees our poor behavior, and somehow that poor behavior creates distance between me and God. We teach that. <clears throat> if, I, if I live well, if I behave well, I'm closer to God. If I behave poorly, I'm, I'm further away. That somehow my behavior makes God move away from me or toward me. We teach that he died for us, but that he's generally frustrated at us. You ever have a thought that God may be frustrated at you? Well, I will assure you today he's not. I will assure you today that he is not. There is this spirit of religion that's moving rampantly through the world, but I want to tell you something else. There is, however, an amazing and a wonderful spirit of wisdom and revelation that is also prominently moving among us. We may think somehow we are slipping. We may think by any standard you want to look at that the real purposes in the heart of God is being diminished in this world. I will assure you 
it is not true. Because there is a wonderful spirit of wisdom and revelation moving among God's people. It's happening one at a time. It's not happening on the scale I would like to see, but it's happening on the scale as God intends. There is a spirit of wisdom and revelation moving that is God's promise to us in Ephesians chapter 1. Go with me there if you'd like to. It's going to come up on the wall here in just a second. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What's he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul prayed it in this high apostolic prayer, and I want to assure you he was not praying a suggestion. He was praying something into existence. He was praying that we would be able to be a people who were driven and led by a spirit, not of religion, but a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This promise, and it is a promise. Think about this. this we, we have to anchor this. This promise of the spirit of wisdom and revelation finds its great assurance in the fact that this and all the promises of God, they all find their assurance in the same truth. The character and the heart of God never changes. So let me ask you this. If God made you a promise and he never changes, his character never changes, his heart never changes, his nature never changes, when then would his promise to you ever change? It won't because the promises to you aren't found in your ability to gain them. The promises made to you are completely residing in the reality of an unchanging nature, an unchanging heart, an unchanging love for you. Now, so what difference should that make to me? What difference should it make? Well, most of us, once again, see God as something quite variable, as someone who changes often in his opinion, in his thoughts, in his direction, and where he's taking us, in how he sees us. Well, I will tell you today, and you don't have to wonder, you can absolutely always know where you stand with God. You don't ever have to wonder. If you, if, if, if you ask this question, does God love me? What's the answer? Yes. Does he know where I am? Does he see my hurt? Does he make the promises to me? Is he consistent in those promises? Yes, every time, yes. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. He is unchanging, absolutely unchanging. That spirit of wisdom and revelation, that unchanging nature of God gives us the assurance of kingdom truth that stands apart from church truth. I want us to understand that. There is a vast difference between kingdom truth and church truth. The, the truth that churches perpetuate. Let me give you a few examples of, of church truth. 
that often gets perpetuated. Here's one. That the local body is the most basic element of God's great purpose. You say it's not true. The local body is the most basic element of God's great purpose. What difference does that make? It makes a lot. Because if, if I'm sitting here as a local body, I will believe that the gifts given stay in the body. Realize that? So we find churches, entities anyway, beginning to make plans based on the enormity of the money that they have in their hands. And it's not unusual anymore for churches to have savings accounts of millions of dollars. How can you do that? What kind of mentality is required to do that? The mentality is that this church, this local church, is the most basic element of all that God's doing. Oh, no. Not a chance. What's the right picture? Why would God in any local body let money flow in like that? So it can flow out like that. There's the difference. If I believe that the local body is the most basic element, I will believe that the money's flowing in for my use. No, 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 no. When I understand that God would give us this kind of provision, I get to hold it in my hand and examine it. Is it bread for us to eat as a body? Some of it is. Or is it seed to sow and be released to others? Why would he do that? Because he believes with all his heart, once I put my spirit in you, you will trust that you don't have to hold on to it because the provision isn't going to dry up. Just keep releasing it. The kingdom says it's coming and it will continue to come. Release it. Be obedient with that which I've given you. Feed that thing down the river. But the church says you better, you better hold on to it because there may be a hard day coming. I tell you what, I love your hearts. I've loved it for a long time. I've been a part of this church for a long, long time. And I've watched your hearts Feed that through. Just let it go and let it go. I, I, I know I've, this, this story just still is amazing to me. It's been probably three years ago now when uh, the church in De Leon was coming and they were going to preach. And, and I knew that, that there was $11,000 that we were supposed to give to that body. And I, I mentioned that to you. And we took up that offering and there was, was $11,000 given that morning. But while we were still here, didn't even leave, I also realized that we were supposed to give another $11,000 to a boy's home down in that same area. And so I stood up a second time 
and said, God is showing me that we're supposed to give another $11,000 to this boy's home. And we took up a second offering that had $11,000 in it. So we sent this $11,000 check to this, this ranch where they took care of boys. And they did it outside of government support. So they could teach the Bible. They could teach the boys how to work. They could just teach them. And so they didn't get any assistance. And so we, we sent that check down there and I got a call and the guy said, you know, we can't, we can't take this check. And, he, and I said, well, okay, but I'm, I need to talk to you about it. So we set up a time. Jan and I drove down, visited with he and his wife. He said, we can't take this check. And I said, why can't you take this check? He said, we never get money. We never get money given to us that doesn't have some kind of a string attached to it. He said, never. And I said, well, I want to tell you how this came about. And then I'm going to ask you if you'll keep it or not. I said, we're sitting in church and God gives this revelation that we're supposed to take up an offering for, for you and for these boys. So what we did was an act of obedience. Are you going to say no to an act of obedience of God? Had him. He said, well, do you mind if we give some of it away? We know a girl's home that needs money. And I said, S give it whatever you want to do. There's no string attached to this. Couldn't believe it. Well, I want to tell you, that's the heart and the nature of a kingdom teaching. A kingdom reality that I don't have to hang on to this. So you gave it in obedience then, and, and they took part of it, and they gave away part of it in obedience. I love that kingdom heart. That's the way the kingdom works. The church says, I've, I've got to keep it. There may be a, a, a rainy day. Something else. The church must be protected by the elevation of some and the damage to others. That's church teaching. That's church truth. Keep things quiet. Keep things silent. Keep things under wrap because we don't want to damage the church. Well, I want to assure you that true church, the one that is the body of Christ, we cannot damage. He is really good at protecting his body. But we teach it and we, we try to keep things hushed and we try to keep things silent and we fail to deal with things that should be dealt with. The last one I wrote down here, each church stands alone and has its own identity and purpose. And I'm not sure if the day will ever come. I hope it does. And I don't care if we continue to meet in two buildings. But I hope we reach a day very, very soon when there is no road, there is no division between this church and that one. Amen. We are one body, one church, one family. What happens over there should matter to us. There should be a very free flow of what God gives to the body. You want to know why there's no Baptist sign on the church anymore? It's because my heart says we have to take down those barriers. That's the kingdom. We, there's only one kingdom. And I want us to know that we are, my, our identity is not found in some name. It's found in a truth that can only be built inside a kingdom. 
Kingdom truth tells us with great confidence that we can know who we are in Him. And if His character never changes, then His promises never change and they are eternally good and will not tarnish over time. Listen as he speaks to Balak in, in, in Numbers 23. If you want to go there with me or read it on the wall there. Numbers 23, I'll begin reading in verse 19. God is not a man. Come on. Amen. I need an amen. God is not a man. I would have expected more from the women. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Has he said and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless and he is blessed and I cannot reverse it. Do you hear the heart of God in it? Do you understand that he's not as arbitrary like us? He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to lie. He's not going to have to change his mind. Has he ever said he'd do something and not do it? Has he ever spoken and not made good on what he spoke? He says, that which I give you, I will never reverse. I will never take back. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, not by something else. I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. See, I will not change. I have sworn by myself. That is the only thing high enough that God could swear by. There was nothing greater. I want us to spend just a minute in Hebrews chapter 6. A little bit longer passage, but I want us to hear this unchanging nature of God that secures us in His promises. His unchanging heart, His unchanging character secures us in, in most things that we still feel are arbitrary. Before I get there, I've told y'all this story before, but I have had over my life an, an unusual, maybe it's unusual, maybe normal, I don't know what you're, how you think, but it never did take much of an illness for, for me to think that, uh, uh, you know, this, this is probably the end. This is probably going to take my life. I, I mean, most of them were imaginary. Most of them were really imaginary illnesses that I would conclude that were very serious and, 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 and there was always this possibility of dying in it. Now, again, it seems ridiculous, but I know I'm not the only one in that category. Until someone had a vision of me. And it was someone that I trusted, someone that I believed that if they had a vision, they had a vision. And they saw me sitting on this couch with Jesus, and I was an old man. 
What does that do? You see, it can change the nature of everything when God gives us, by what he knows, a fixed point beyond our concern. And his promises are good. We've told the story so many times of, of Kate and, and her call that said that she was having some physical problems and they were serious. And how quickly they began to find an answer in the visions and the prophecies that were spoken as a point fixed in front of her in Ryan. And a calm comes with it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. There was no one else above him to swear by. He swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing... I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. So there's a promise made by God to Abraham. Verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability or the unchanging nature of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two unchanging things, by two immutable things, and those two things are he made a promise and he made an oath in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong encouragement, a strong consolation, who had fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is, is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest for even after the order of Melchizedek. He's saying to us, those promises he made Abraham to bless him, and to grow him, and to multiply him. And we know Abraham's story. It was not just a great one all the time. But God anchored those promises in two immutable, unchanging things. He says, I will anchor them in the fact that I've made from that unchanging heart, I make you a promise, and I'll stand with it on an oath that I have made upon myself that those promises that I have made you are good and they're true and they're everlasting and eternal. We hear it in each of these scriptures. It is the unchanging nature, that word that becomes the place of our certainty, our security and the goodness of God toward us, no matter the circumstance that we're in. Now that's easy to believe if the circumstances we are in are good. It's easy to believe that God's promises are true. It's easy to believe that God is secure. It's easy to believe for us to stand ready. But when we recognize that God's promises to me, His unchanging nature, the unchanging nature of His Word, it becomes the place where I get to stand. I stand in His assurance. I stand in his certainty no matter which direction the winds of circumstance are blowing. 
I wish we'd get it. How much calm would hit? How much peace would hit? How much assurance would hit? If we would just stand in the place where he is fixed, not in the changing nature of our circumstances. God's heart cannot be divided toward you. God's heart cannot be divided towards you. He cannot love you and be angry at you. Man, this changes our truth. This, but we're moving from church truth to kingdom truth. There's a difference, a huge difference in that kingdom truth says God's heart cannot be divided when he looks at you. His undivided heart becomes the place of our fullest assurance. I can stand with the most confidence, the most assurance, the most certainty, not because the circumstances of our lives change, but because He doesn't. Who God is becomes more important than the circumstances we are in today. Who God is will anchor us when we don't know what's happening. So here's the question. What promise has God made to you beyond those that He's made to all of us? He's made to all of us universally many, many, many promises. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's a universal promise that we find not in our ability to get away from him, but in the certainty of who he is. But I ask you this question, what promises has God made you individually that finds its assurance in the heart of God toward you? We are an, we are an unusual body in the fact that we have had prophets come. That's, that is unusual. There aren't many churches that say that. We have had that encounter with God through prophecy. In that prophecy, there have been many moments spoken of, promises made. And I know many who wonder if those promises will ever come true. Well, I will assure you, please, you can trust that a promise made to you, the peace that you can have about that promise will not be dependent on this. Am I finally getting everything right so that God can deliver the promise? No, because the promise is good because of the unchanging nature of God. He's not going to promise you something and then take it away. So do we waver? Do we doubt? Do we feel forgotten? Yes, we do. The answer will not be found in going back and reading those promises again or hearing those promises spoken again. The assurance of those promises are found only when we recognize that God says, I will not change. Listen to this scripture in Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
Let us not waver in our confession of our hope without wavering, hold without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. We get so trapped by what our eyes see, what our mind thinks, and what our heart feels. I don't know what God's promised you today. I don't know if he's promised you long life and prosperity or if he's promised that someday you will die as a martyr. I don't know what he's promised you. I don't know. But what I do know with absolute certainty is that that promise is made good by an unchanging heart, an unchanging nature of a loving God. Father, thank you today that you bring this one point. So much of our rest, so much all of our peace, our comfort resides in the fact that you don't change. That we need a rock to stand on. We need a steady place in which to lean. We need certainty as we build our houses on that rock that will not be moved by wind or rain or storm. Thank you, Father, this morning because somebody in this congregation is wavering. There may be several, there may be many who are wavering, wondering, God, when? When will the promises be true? The promises, Father, according to you are true right now. Thank you, Father, that you see each promise as something finished because you made the promise. There's, no, there, there's nothing that can change about it because you made it. Father, what we don't see, what we may question, what we may wonder about finds its answer in the certainty of who you are. Let us walk in faith according to that, not according to what we see. Thank you, Father, for bringing this truth that you are teaching us about a kingdom that's setting us free from a spirit of religion that breaks down barriers and connects people, lets us love according to how you love us. Thank you, Father, that you show us and that you have built a heart in this place that recognizes that we are people who receive so that we can freely give. Thank you, Father, that you bring these messages home this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.